You know, we've just been through a season. Well, I guess really we haven't just been through it. I think we're still in it. Where God is just showing the church, church just how irrelevant our programs are. Right? I mean, and I think because what God is doing, he's actually trying to emphasize his priority. And his priority happens to be Jesus. To encounter Jesus. Not just the knowing about Jesus, but knowing Jesus. If you understand what I'm saying. You know, your, your vision of Jesus is what's going to be, it's going to be determining your life. How you see him will determine primarily how you see you. I mean, whenever you encountered the gospel, you encountered, you came into a relationship with him. But it's like, it's time to encounter the gospel again. It is time that we encounter the gospel of his kingdom, that we continually encounter Jesus. Jesus, his majesty, his brilliance, his salvation. I mean, I think in this hour, the Holy Spirit is bringing his church back to an encounter with Jesus. We begin to limit him when we don't see him for who he is. He's the only way to the Father. He is the, the direct representation of the Father. He came to destroy the works of the enemy. He became the curse in our behalf and traded who we were for his righteousness. He is Savior. He is Deliverer. He is Conqueror. He leads us in the, in, into, into mercy, and he triumphs over judgment. He is our advocate. He is our, he is our intercessor. He is the heir of all things, the creator, the sustainer, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of the Father's nature. He is the uncreated God. He is Jehovah. He is perfect in all his ways. He holds everything together by the power of his word. There is no one that's like him. And when you talk about him, he shows up. You know, when we go to the book of John, we look at all those I am statements, right? I mean, he's got, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I mean, if you've known the Lord for a while, you should be able to know, you know, your true identity that you have in him. But in order to really know who you really are and your true identity, you, you need to be able to articulate who God is. You need to start knowing your identity. And usually we begin to know who we are because we learned it. But you need to come to the knowledge of that because you, you know him. Not just being introduced to him, but you know him. First John 5, 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him 
who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God in eternal life, to know him. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed into his death. I mean, it's really important that we understand who we are in Christ, that we understand our true identity in Christ. But, you know, but if you are more consumed with your identity in Christ than you are with Christ, that's just hyper self-awareness. In other words, just to say it another way, if you're better at talking about your position in, about your position in Christ than you are in talking about Christ himself, you're probably not walking out that position. I'm just saying. Knowing who he is leads us into our true identity. And then as you walk in your true identity, that leads us back to him. Ultimately, it's all about, it's all about Jesus. It's all about encountering him. Encountering him, the one who lived, the one who died, the one who crucified, the one who rose again. He conquered, he conquered death by dying. Death is our enemy. Death is the, the last enemy that will be put under his feet, but he's already conquered it. So that we can walk in resurrection power. Any ideology that limits who Jesus is is demonic in nature. It is antichrist in nature. You have you you have religion and you have humanism both trying to limit who Jesus is. Trying to figure him out. Well, who is he? Is he like a good example? Is he I mean, is he a good teacher? Is he a prophet? I mean, like, who, who is he? I mean, Jesus even asked that question, didn't he, to his disciples. Who do people say that I am? And everybody has an opinion about Jesus. Well, I don't know. You know, I don't know if he really did those miracles or not. You know, I don't even know if he really lived. Well, I mean, was he even a real person? I mean, people, they're always just kind of off the rails because the world is trying to just figure something else trying to really not see Jesus as to who he is, but in this season, Jesus is revealing who he is. Any doctrine that limits what you can contend for is demonic in nature. You know, those, those, those heroes of faith, we don't look at those guys and think they were stupid or crazy or nuts because they contended for the impossible. Now, the guys who lived with them, they might have thought that. Just like sometimes when we contend for the impossible, some people think that we're nuts. History vindicated them. And as you push in, it will vindicate you. Jesus said in the book of Luke chapter 18, verse 8, he says, 
When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? That's a good question, isn't it? That question kind of begs another question. Am I believing a lesser narrative than what the Bible says about Jesus? Am I believing something less than what the Bible says about who Jesus is and what is possible in him? Jesus is triumphant. He is the victor. He is the king. I mean, when we encounter him, I mean, when we, which Jesus are we encountering? Are we encountering the one that's full of power, the one who's full of love? You know, when you encounter the love of Jesus, I mean, really encounter the love of Jesus, it really changes you. And what flows out of you happens to be his love. John would say in 1 John, he said, if anyone says I love God and doesn't love his neighbor, he is a liar. You've not had a love encounter with God if it's not flowing out of you. I mean, when Jesus comes into your life, he changes you. And when you've had a love encounter in your heart, I mean, it, it, it comes out of your mouth. What does Jesus say happens when, he, when the true Jesus gets lifted up? John 12, 32 says that when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. You think that's telling us that if people aren't being drawn, that maybe we're, maybe we're not doing such a good job at lifting him up, the true Jesus. I'm just asking the question, you understand. Jesus would say this. This is in John 8, 28. Jesus said, when, the, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. When you lift me up, then you'll know I am who I say I am. He says, and I, am, I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So when you, he said, when you lift me up, you will know I am he. Well, what causes us to limit Jesus? I mean, what, what, what causes us to limit him? Well, it, sometimes it's our disappointments. Sometimes we have expectations of God, and God did not meet our expectations. So we began to develop a belief system based on really what our perceptions of our experiences with him rather than seeing him for who he really is. And we developed, really, I would say these become false beliefs. that limit him or it could be you just have a life that just have you just have lack of, of God encounters or perhaps you only know him as savior but you've never known him as king 
He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. At the end of Ephesians chapter 1, it says, He is far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, above every name that, that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come. Like, have you experienced that king? Or do you only have your fire insurance? I'm just asking the questions, okay? I think for us to move past those limitations, it's going to require us going after him. It's going to have to, you know, we're going to pursue him. It's going to require some humility. might even require some repentance. It's going to to require us just to run after him, and that kind of leads to hunger, to thirst. I like that passage in the book of John chapter 7. Jesus is talking. It says, if anyone is thirsty, like, "Are, are you thirsty? If anyone is thirsty, let him come after me and drink. And when he does, rivers of living water will flow from his innermost being. This he said he's talking of the Spirit, which hadn't come yet because he hadn't been glorified. But he has come, or I mean the Spirit has come, so we get to live and walk in that. So what he's talking about is what we get to experience now. If anyone is thirsty, do you know the ways of the kingdom are not the ways of the natural? So in the ways of the kingdom, whenever I drink, I get thirstier. Whenever I eat, I get hungrier. And when you, it, it, it's like if you, somebody sitting back and go, well, I'm just full now. I'm just full of everything. I'm going, you have not been eating. Because when you start to taste and see that the Lord is good, it increases your appetite. In fact, that passage in John chapter 7 happens to be in the Greek language in the present tense, which means continuous action, which means I continual thirst, continual coming, continual drinking, and then you got this river. And what happens, he changes your capacity. You take a small drink. I mean, it's like there's only so much water you can drink. But your river flows out. He changes your capacity when you encounter him. Drink in, river going out. Rivers of living water, which means everybody else gets to begin to drink from what you carry. I think we're at the beginning of a fresh wind of God. There's a fresh wind that is blowing, and it's all centered around the person of Jesus. Those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, it's going to be about him. You know, Jesus is like God doesn't do anything without the saints praying, right? 
I mean, he doesn't do anything without the prayers of the saints. We look in, in 1857 in New York City, Jeremiah Lamphere just got a bunch of guys together, business people together at noon to pray. All of a sudden, more people started doing the same thing, and had, then they have different prayer going throughout. I mean, they had a, it just it was a prayer revival, but the presence of God came on that city. In fact, the presence of God was so strong that even ships coming into the harbor, people would fall under conviction. That's how much and powerful the presence of God was. But it all begins with prayer. You look at every prayer movement that, I mean, every move of God, you know, you just trace it back. You're going to find that all of those moves, there was, there was somebody praying. There was an emphasis in prayer before those moves of God would happen. Do you know how much prayer has been going up? around the world in the last 20 years. I would say I would extend it past 30 years, but in 40 years, because it's been increasing. But it's like it, it, every year it has exponentially been going, going higher and higher and higher. It is pretty massive. I remember when I, was, when I pastored in the San Francisco Bay Area in the mid-1990s, the Billy Graham crusade happened in the San Francisco Bay Area, but really with the thing that really just, that, I mean, the effect of that, I mean, we got a lot of people into the kingdom on that one, all right? But one of the lasting effects of that was that all of these prayer groups around the San Francisco Bay Area were pulled and pulled together to begin to start praying. So we had Pray East Bay, Pray South Bay. We had all these different prayer groups, and then we began to pull them together, and then we began to do things corporately together, knitting so that all the prayer groups around the whole San Francisco Bay Area were working in sync. Ed Solvoso lives there, and he would bring all these Argentine revivals because revivalists, you know, because Argentina had like a 20-year, almost it was 20 years sustained, almost 30-year in lingering effects of it, but it was birthed in prayer, came out of prayer, started in prayer. They knew how to do, you know, circle the cities in prayer. They knew how to do a perimeter of prayer. I mean, it's all about prayer. And so we would have these guys come up. They would equip us and train us. To, and so you have these prayer things going on. And I know some of you are going, well, for all that prayer, it doesn't seem to be working there. I'm telling you, it, they are on the verge of something because God will honor the prayers of his saints. There's so much prayer that's going on right now. In 1983, Mike Bickle had 21 days of encounter in May of 1983. And, you know, had that prophet brought Bob Jones come speak some things and all these things would have happened. And then in 21 days, all these things began to happen. And that kind of birthed that international house of prayer movement that he started. He's not the only one who has a house of prayer movement, but he started what, what he started. They're going to be celebrating the 40th anniversary of that in the month of May, this May, with 21 days of prayer and fasting, joining another movement that has been focusing on cities 
that has gathered together 100 million intercessors, 100 to 130 million intercessors who gather together to pray over one particular place in the world, and they pick a day to do it. In January, they pick, the, they pick China. In, in uh, next month, they're going to go in the, uh, uh, somewhere in the Middle East. In, in, uh, at the end of May, it's going to be Israel, Tel Aviv and Israel. Uh, in, in, in the fall, it's going to be India. One, 100 million to 130 million people who are targeting certain places. They've been, I mean, they're doing, they've gathered these people together, you know, and, and informed them. I mean, this, this is really pretty, pretty significant. And so what Mike Bickle is going to do, he's actually, because they're targeting Israel during his 40th anniversary of those 21 days, he's pulling together people who will fast and will pray during those 21 days. He's got 300,000 people who, so far, who've committed themselves to do that. And he expects by the time that happens, that you'll have 100 million people fasting and praying for 21 days for Israel. I, I'm, I'm telling you, there is so much prayer that is going on. It is amazing. What should we expect with that kind of prayer that's happening? Should we expect anything? Absolutely. Those bowls are filling up. It's going to be pouring out and running over. The longer we wait with intercession before it actually manifests, the greater the impact that it will be having. God is simply setting the world up for an encounter. I mean, if God doesn't come through, he's, he's a liar. <laughs> but he's not a liar. I mean, we should have expectations that are going on right now. You know, we had all these prophets that were just prophesying about the, you know, the billion-soul harvest. Anybody heard that one? Okay, so you got these prophets that prophesied about the billion-soul harvest. You had Bob Jones who prophesied. And, you know, he had this prophecy that when the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl, right, we're going to start that. So whenever they won it, you know, not this last time, but the time before, we go, oh, it's the beginning. It's the beginning of that. Yep. But understand this, that there were other things that Bob Jones actually said would happen as well that they don't look at. James Gall, who was a, uh, a contemporary of Bob Jones, basically said this. He, he looked them up, verified these things. He said, you know, there are three other things. Three other things. He said the first thing that would happen, and of course, remember when Bob Jones was given this word, it was like in the 80s, right? Some of these actually traced back into the 70s where he was saying it. But it's like 83, right around there where these things were beginning to come out. And over the next few years, uh, he would say some of these things over and over again. One of them would be, one would be that abortion would be perfected in the pill. 
the morning after pill. He said this. He 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 said people out in the like in the fields in Asia or something like that can actually begin to watch prayer meetings on their wrists. You can watch YouTube on that thing. Do you know that? And then he said homosexuality will be legalized in the country. Which on January 13th of 2022, the Defense of Marriage Act, DOMA, was repealed and replaced with the Respect for Marriage Act in December. And then the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Interesting, isn't it? Before the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, a little community, Asbury College, Wilmore, Kentucky, had a little fresh move of God just began to pour on their campus. That kind of surprised everybody. The guy who gave the message before this thing started didn't even think it mattered. He thought this was the worst message I've ever preached. He was like an assistant soccer coach. Just talked about the love of God. And they encountered about 18 people hung around afterwards, and then they ended up going to the, going to lunch. You know, they missed where everybody else kind of goes to their professors and say, listen, we want to go back to the chapel. Can we have permission? So there was actually a little bit of honor going on where they said, sure, they went back. And then, these, and then all of a sudden, something began to happen. Somebody goes to the cafeteria and says, hey, there's something going out in the, in, the, in, in, the, in the auditorium there, in the Hughes Auditorium. They said, what, really, something's going on there? We were just there. We didn't see that happening. We, we were there for a while, went to lunch, but everybody started to come. And then they began to say, well, revival's kind of coming. And then we probably wouldn't even known anything was happening at all if it weren't for Facebook or Instagram. And then everybody began to show up at this thing. Like, And everybody in the world wanted to come. People booking flights from around the world all wanted to come to Wilmore, Kentucky, a town of, what, four or 5,000 people. I mean, they only have, like, one grocery store, a Safeway, and a Dollar General. Wilmington, Kentucky is the big town about 30 miles away. You know, but they all started coming to this little small town. I mean, they had, well, like on that Sunday night, like 20,000 people showed up. After about a week and a half of this thing going on, can you imagine? They actually have signs on the roads, you know, like revival, diverting traffic. I had some friends of mine go to that. Did you have any friends go to that? I have some... I had some friends of mine, I mean, really close friends. I mean, people, I mean, I got texted. You know that thing I was sharing with about all that stuff today? She sent me a text this morning from Stacy Campbell that had that information in there. They were in Washington, D.C. Her and her husband were in Washington, D.C. and doing something. They heard about this thing going on. This was like right after it started two days. They go, hey, we got four extra days. Why don't we just book some travel there? So they did. They just, you know, they just got an Airbnb, probably the last one you can get, showed up. You know, just just as this thing started with like three or four days into this thing, actually like two two days or three days into this thing, and already then they 
He said, the first day we spent eight hours in the rain waiting to get in. They said, we got in. And once we got in, it, they said, it was just the presence of Jesus. He said, it wasn't the music. He said, well, it was a good guitar, somebody on the keyboard, somebody on the djembe playing songs. They threw stuff out there. They, they were, they just, and they swapped them around. You know, so they weren't like the greatest you know, worship teams, you know, all these other teams, worship teams from everywhere else wanted to come in, and they said, no, we don't want that, thank you, but no, thank you, this is our stuff, you know, the, you know, no. Everybody else wanted to come, you know, share, speak, whatever. Even Tucker Carlson wanted to come in. They go, no, thank you, no, thank you, you know, we love you, but no, thank you, please do not come, you know. <laughs> They were just trying to manage the presence and the move of God, and the world wanted to come in and get in on it. That tells you the hunger that there is for, for God to do something. And then on the 23rd, I mean, this started, what, uh, February 9th or something like that, 8th or 9th, right around there. February 23rd, they had already scheduled a simulcast there, broadcasting from there, on the collegiate day of prayer. It was the 200th anniversary, or the 200th one, of the collegiate day of prayer. Over 4,000 campuses connecting. You see the word, hear the word prayer in there? It's a trend, I'm telling you. The collegiate day of prayer. You know, it, it seems like God is not allowing us to go to try to experience revival at a place. And I think because God is really wanting to bring revival to us. He's wanting to bring an encounter to his people. He's wanting us to have a place where we actually encounter a visitation. So, you know, the question I have is, is this the hour of God's visitation? Because when God, as God begins to move, he, he, he's, 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 he is beginning to do, you know, in places all over. I mean, what, you know, he started something in Asbury. It goes to like Texas A&M. You know, it goes to all these other different campuses and something begins to happen. And, and all of a sudden churches began to go have a little, some little visitation too. Not everybody knows what to do with it or how to manage it. Because when it does come, it comes in its infancy. It doesn't come in its, in its, in its maturity. But this wasn't the first time that Asbury actually had an encounter with Jesus. They actually had one in the early 1900s. You know, in, in what would be, I would say, a worldwide visitation that just manifested in different places. It manifested in Wales in the Welsh revival with Evan Roberts. You know, they lasted for 11 months. Then you had the Azusa Street over there in the Southern California, which lasted a really long time. Then you had another thing going on in the, in the state of Kansas in those early 1900s. And then also during that same time frame, Asbury had an encounter with the Holy Spirit there. Their emphasis was more on the holiness of God fits well within that Methodist tradition.
1970, they had another encounter. This one just lasted eight days. But it turned out to be pretty much 24-7, eight days of an encounter with God, which happened to be right in the middle of a move that God was doing. Primarily, I saw it, and I know about it, what's happening here in the United States. See, 1968, I believe it was, in San Francisco area, in the Haight-Ashbury district, in what they call the Summer of Love, God began to show up and encounter a bunch of hippies who had God encounters where they would be stoned in their brain all of a sudden as sober as they can be or encounter even Jesus in their <laughs> drug encounters. And we go, oh, no. <laughs> and God began to change these guys. Like Lonnie Frisbee, there's that new movie that came out. I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's called The Jesus Revolution. I do recommend it. It's pretty good. It's actually Greg Laurie's story. Uh, Greg Laurie, who still pastors down in Southern California, a very large, uh, massive church. But it's kind of his story and his wife's story as they began to encounter the things of Jesus. Lonnie Frisbee, who didn't finish well, but did, re you know, finish with in a relationship with Jesus. I mean, it's still, I mean, when you just, hear Greg talk about that it, not in the movie but you know Lonnie Frisbee was he was a fire starter you know he just he started um, that down there you know with the the Calvary Chapel and Chuck Smith uh, that kind of blew up and exploded uh, he started he was a fire starter with the vineyard I mean they started because he showed up on Mother's Day and blew that church up and John Wimber and that started something else and and uh, but that's quite kind of what he did. And but God was moving in those times like this, and and, uh, and so that Jesus movement that began to happen, and they called themselves really the Jesus people in the early late sixties, early seventies, in nineteen seventy. God did visit Asbury, and for eight days they had encounters. About a couple of months after that encounter, my dad was pastoring. We lived in Ada, Oklahoma, and my dad was pastor at First Baptist Church at Ada, Oklahoma. County seat town, First Baptist Church, just as traditional as you can get. On Sunday morning, my dad was a, he was, a, he ran after revival. He was a man who hungered for a revival. A lot of that started back in the, you know, earlier in the in the 60s. We we had some of the guys from the, the Shantung Revival, which was in China, which is a massive revival. We had these guys from that revival. Bertha Smith, she goes to Jack Taylor's church. She blows it up. We had Dr. Culpepper, a little more refined, you know, comes to our church. We had these encounters with the Holy Spirit, but it sparked a passion for revival. So my dad said, I'm going after revival. So he invited one of the students from the, the Asbury College to come and to speak at, at our church. And the only time he could make it would be a Sunday night in, in, in the midst of him speaking some two places on Sunday morning and three places on Sunday night. We would kind of fit in between two places. So he was late getting there. I mean, there's only so many hymns you can sing at a Baptist church. And we were singing those hymns, and uh, we're just sitting there. I mean, we had a lot of people show up. I mean, it, we had a lot of people who showed up for that one there. 
And uh, he gets, he finally gets there, gets there late, speaks 20 minutes. That's all he'd be. He speaks 20 minutes and leaves. You know, and in the midst of it, he says, well, this happened and that happened because Jesus is Lord. This happened and that happened because Jesus is Lord. This happened and that happened because Jesus is Lord. All he did was talk about how Jesus was Lord, and everything that happened came because Jesus was Lord. And when you just talk about Jesus as being Lord, something begins to happen, and it happened in the room because he was a carrier, whatever that was. And so he just says all of that praise, and he walks out, and here we are sitting. What do we do now? And then you heard some weeping across the room. And then a man, an old codger. You guys know what I'm talking about. We have him in church. He stood up over there, and he screamed out to somebody that was in the choir. We had a choir, too. They were just sitting there, too, like, what do we do? And just it said, and asked him to forgive him. And he yelled back, I forgive you, and they ran out and embraced. And then somebody else stood up, yelled at somebody else. They did the same thing. And then all of a sudden, two people stood up simultaneously, looked at each other, ran. I'm telling you, after that, it went, it went wild in this First Baptist Church, Southern Baptist Church the largest church in town in Ada, Oklahoma. We didn't have cell phones to call anybody to come. We couldn't do a Facebook live stream. But, you know, the crowds began to get larger and larger because people went to get people and bring them back. All it was was God for the next five hours. And after that, people were changed, and they all talked they always look back and they remember that the night that God came to church. I'm telling you, he's, he's doing something. Jesus is coming to show his preeminence. He's not coming to promote a church or to, to promote religion, but revealing who he is. He's coming to us as our first love. Because you see, he, he really is who he says he is. You know, when God shows up, he elicits a response. And those whose hearts are humble are able to see him so that you can respond. So will you see him when he comes? You see, the moves of God do not start off in maturity. They start off in immaturity. Jesus says it's like this. When the kingdom of God comes, the first thing that comes up is like a blade. Out of the ground, it comes up as a blade. And so you look at that blade and you go, is that God or is that not God? Is that, is that wheat? Or is that a weed? And because when it comes up, it is immature. People reject it because they don't know what it is. Because it doesn't look like how he's moved in the past. This is one of the reasons why 
the moves of God are rejected by a previous move from God. Because they began to they began to experience when God would move in such a way that it came into places of maturity. Oh yeah, I mean, you can when it's mature, you can recognize you go, "Oh yeah, that's God." Oh yeah. And when you look at the fruit of that and you go, "Oh yeah, that's God." But when it's going on as it starts, you don't know. I don't know, is that God? Because with, with anything like that, you're going to have a mixture of flesh and the demonic and the spirit. And because it's, there's that mixture in there as, it's, as, it, as it begins to grow and to, to mature, because of that immaturity, the previous move will reject what God is doing in the now because it's not coming the way that they perceived him or, or think that he should come. So even with this stuff with Asbury and stuff, oh, that's, that's not God. That can't be God. It's because you can't see the moves of God when they start. I mean, like, who recognized the Messiah when he was born? Well, if he shows up with a bunch of angels, like the shepherd thing, I mean, that's pretty easy. When you got the angels showing up singing the hallelujah chorus, all of that stuff, you go, okay, I think that's God. But at eight days old, when they drag him to the temple, he's just a baby. But Anna and Simeon, people of prayer, looked at this baby in his infancy and says, whoa. That's the Messiah. Because they've been contending for the Messiah. But what they've been contending for, those who are contending will be the first to see. Those who are not contending will miss it. Do you have eyes to see? If you're not contending, you should be. hadn't started praying yet, you, today would be a good day to start. You know, it's when, one thing we see a lot in these moves of God, we do see that God just allowed the, the youth who have the energy to run. But the moves of God never stopped because God stopped. It stopped because people stopped. They got burned out. And I think a lot of that happens because there are not functioning mothers and fathers in the faith. Who can actually 
speak into the lives of orphans, spiritual orphans who are thinking as orphans. See, what we have is a lot of uh, people who, I mean, just because you're older like me, it doesn't mean that you're a father or a mother. A whole lot of people like me, they, we look like we should be fathers and mothers, but we're actually older brothers and sisters masquerading as fathers and mothers because we're living as orphans ourselves. We've never embraced the spirit of adoption. I mean, if you compete with anybody who grows up in anointing, you're not a father, you're just an older brother or sister. So I would say probably the, there's a, a call to come into the fullness of maturity. Time to grow up. To come into that because as God begins to move, we, we need everybody in their place doing their part. Would you agree? Don't just say let the run pe young people run after it. No. The government of, of heaven is family. Paul said to those guys at Corinth, he says, you got a lot of fathers in 1 Corinthians 4, but I mean, you got a lot of teachers, but you don't have many fathers, and I'm your father. Timothy, this is my son. You are my children. Everybody has a place and everybody has a role. In order to see what God is doing sustained. This is the hour of our visitation. This is the hour of your visitation. As it begins in immaturity do not despise it speak life into it don't curse it you could be like like Gamaliel said guys we, let's be careful what we do with these guys because we might be even opposing God you don't want to get to heaven find out that you walk that you got on the wrong side of that fence But it's going to begin with you deciding to pursue Jesus and who he is in his fullness. King of kings, Lord of lords. The one who is far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion. Above every name that is named, not only this age, but in the one to come. It's time to start taking a taste and get hungry. Start drinking and get thirsty. I can tell you this, that Galen and I, we live for the day of God's visitation. And I pray you do too. I want you to bow your heads. Jesus, we want to see you. We want to encounter you. 
We do not want to be passed by. We are fully in. We're fully in. Lord, we want to be enamored with who you are. Thank you for who we are in you. And let, Lord, let our pursuit of just knowing our true identity lead us back to you, Jesus, that we may know you, to know you in your fullness. Come, Lord. Come and encounter us today. Come and let us experience your visitation today. Honor the prayers of your saints, Lord, who are saying, Lord, come, 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 come. Come to this house. Come to this city. Come to this state. Come to this nation. Come to our world, Lord. Come. Come onto the prayers of the saints that are crying out, bombarding heaven, fulfilling, filling up the bowls in heaven with the, with the intercession of the saints. As those bowls are filling up, Jesus, we just we just join the chorus with those. And say, Lord, just come and give more of you, more of you. Let it just pour out. Lord, give us just the passion for you. Let us be enamored with you. Lord, just as we're home today and as just throughout our week, Lord, let us be consumed with you, your presence, your person, your nature. No limits. No limits to what we contend for. No limits for what we are pushing in for. Just focus yourself on him. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear.